morning. If you would, open your Bibles with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And as you're turning, let me uh, thank you for, for having this meeting. I thank you for inviting me. I count it a, a great honor and a great privilege. I always look forward to coming and seeing my brethren at Millsite. I've been coming here to preach for right at 30 years now. And every time I come, I'm still surprised <laughs> at your love, at your kindness, at your generosity, at your hospitality. I'm, I'm surprised every time. I just, and I'm very thankful. I know where it comes from. It comes from a love for Christ. I know that. And I know he gave it to you. Boy, I sure thank God for you. I thank God for you. I just, I can't even say that strongly enough. Now, I thought this morning, what is it that I'd like the Lord to enable me to say to these folks I care so, so much about? And this is what I'd like for us to know when we leave here this morning. I'm interested in knowing if anybody here wants to know, how does God save sinners? What is the gospel? Well, I want to tell you what God has to say on the subject. If anybody knows how God saves sinners, I believe it's God, don't you? I've titled the message, The Testimony of the Lord. I'd like to begin in verse 8 of 2 Timothy chapter 1. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. There's our title, the testimony of our Lord. Nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel, according to the power of God. Now Paul tells Timothy, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. The testimony of our Lord is the gospel. That's what the gospel is. The Lord Jesus Christ came and he gave testimony of how it is God saves sinners. And his testimony, his witness, it's the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. The gospel is the testimony that tells us who the Savior is and how he saves sinners. And this testimony has got to be true. Doesn't it? It's got to be true because it comes straight from the Savior himself. And nobody knows better than him because he's the one that did it. The gospel is all about a person. It's who Christ is. It's his person. It, it's his righteousness. It tells us how he successfully suffered for the sin of his people. It tells us of his resurrection. Not just that he was resurrected, but why was he resurrected? Because the sin of his people had been put away by his death. It tells us of his ascension back to glory. And thank God it tells us of his return. Marvin, this is not all there is. He's coming back. He's coming back. It tells us of his eternal kingship. Now, that's a glorious testimony, isn't it? And you know why it's glorious? It's all Christ. That's why it's glorious. There's nothing to be ashamed of there. The testimony of our Lord is the gospel of peace. Whether people know it or not, you know this whole world has gone crazy and you know what people want more than anything else? Peace. Peace of heart. 
piece of art. The testimony of our Lord tells us how sinners like you and me can have peace with Almighty God. I'm interested in that, aren't you? Now, I know that the natural man hates the gospel of Christ. I know it. I understand. They hated it so much they put Paul in prison for preaching it. But now, don't let man's hatred of the gospel make you question it. <laughs> I mean, if man hates something, that's probably a pretty good reason to look into it and like it, isn't it? Now, don't make it, don't make it make you ashamed. How could I ever be ashamed of the Savior who gave himself who sacrificed himself for my sin. No, there's nothing to be ashamed of there. It's glorious, glorious. And this testimony of our Lord, it's the only way, the one and only way you and I can know Christ. This gospel, the gospel message that we preach is the only message that God uses to save sinners because it's the only message that's Christ alone. It's so important that we know Christ because knowing Christ, that salvation, knowing Christ. Well, don't you reckon the best way to know Christ is to hear his own testimony of himself? I believe it is. And that's why I hope that the Lord enabled me to preach this morning. And I pray the Lord will make, be pleased to make all of us leave here believing it. Now, what is the testimony of the Lord? What's well, described in our text, first, the testimony of the Lord is that salvation is eternal. Verse 9 says, who hath saved us. Who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Now, I'm no English major, but I know this. Who hath saved us, that's past tense. That's something's already happened. Well, how far past tense is it? How far back do we got to go? You got to go all the way back to eternity. You got to go back before time began. Paul says this salvation was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. This thing was given us before God created anything when only God existed. Now, that makes it sound like God's elect have always been justified, doesn't it? Well, it sounds that way because that's what it is. It's so. It's the doctrine we call today the doctrine of eternal justification. In the mind and purpose of God, God's elect were justified before he created anything. Before he ever created Adam, his people were justified. Now, I love that. I mean, I, the human mind can't exactly comprehend that, but I love it. And here's why I love it. That was God's purpose. And if that's God's purpose, it cannot fail to happen because God can't fail. His purpose always happens. God can't change. Can he? God can't change. Well, if God has ever seen his people as justified, he's always seen them as justified. And they've always been justified in his son, in Christ. And since God can't change... Those people can never lose their salvation. Never. I love that. You see, salvation has to be eternal because God's the one that did the saving. And God's eternal. Who does Paul say here did the saving? He said, God did. Who hath saved us? He did it. 
We're not saved if we walk an aisle. We're not saved if we make the, you know, a right uh, profession or we make a right decision. Um, it always makes me squeamish when I hear people say, well, I came to the doctrines of grace. Mike, I'd rather come to Christ, wouldn't you? <laughs> I'd rather come to Christ. Paul says, he saved us. And he did it all by himself. He did it all by himself. Salvation is something that's already been done by God. It was accomplished in Christ, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Now, I know many people don't believe that, but here's the evidence that that's true. When Adam sinned, he rebelled against God in open rebellion. He knew exactly what he was doing. You know what Adam was wanting to do? He wanted to be God. Adam wanted to make the rules. Can you imagine anything more offensive to God than that? And that's what Adam did. Why didn't God wipe Adam out right on the spot? I mean, just make a little greasy spot of him there in the garden and start all over. Why didn't God, why didn't God just destroy Adam immediately? Because there were a people in Adam's loins who would descend from Adam who were already justified. They couldn't be destroyed. They had to be born into this world. They had to be given faith in Christ. They had to be called to Christ. Christ must be revealed to them. Adam was not destroyed because God had a people he'd already determined to save, and God's going to save them. And Adam's sin couldn't stop him. <laughs> Adam's sin couldn't stop him. See, before there was a sinner, there was a Savior. Now, that's the testimony of the Lord. Salvation is eternal. Adam couldn't mess it up by his sin. And you and I can't mess it up by our sin. The salvation of God's people is eternal. All right, number two. The testimony of the Lord is that God is sovereign in salvation. Paul says, he hath saved us. Us. Now, who's the us? It's God's elect. It's the people that the Father chose to save and gave to his Son. Look over at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And notice here how many times the word us and we is used. Well, that us and that we, that's God's elect. Ephesians 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved in whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself now there's if if the english language means anything that means god chose a specific people and he saved them, and he called them, he keeps them, he blesses them. Those people that the Father chose unto salvation, they shall be saved. And God chose them because God's good. 
God didn't choose the people because he saw any good in them. You know, I know people say, well, yes, I see in Scripture that there's election. So what election has to mean is God looked down through time. He saw who would choose him. He saw who would make a decision, and he chose them. Brother Donnie Bell says that's just God taking credit for what man will already do. And David told us that's not so. God did look down through time. He looked on all the sons of men, and he saw what? There's none good. No, not one. Yet God chose to save a people anyway. That's God's goodness. That's God's electing love. And I'll tell you the two examples that stand out in Scripture of that are Jacob and Esau and Moses and Pharaoh. What made the difference? It's God's electing love, isn't it? See, God chose a people to save, and God saved those people by his omnipotent power. Power that only God has. See, if salvation were left up to you and me, we'd all be lost because we're spiritually powerless. A dead man is powerless to do anything. We're spiritually dead, so we can't do anything to save ourselves. But God in his sovereign power did for his people what they can't do for themselves. He saved us. All right, number three. The testimony of the Lord. Is it the salvation that the Father purposed in eternity was accomplished in time by the Son? Verse 10. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Paul says, now this was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but now it's made manifest. By the appearing of our Savior. By the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now God's purpose was always to save a people in his son. But for thousands of years that purpose was hidden, wasn't it? It was hidden in the types, in the shadows, in the pictures, in the ceremonies of the Old Testament law. It was always God's purpose to save his people by the obedience of his son. It was always God's purpose to put away the sin of his people by the sacrifice of his son. A sacrifice of a goat, a lamb, a bullet couldn't do it. It had to be the sacrifice of God's son. That was always God's purpose. But that did not become crystal clear until Christ came. Now Christ has come. Now I see. Now I, it's obvious. Now I see. Righteousness can't come by my obedience to the law. It has to be by his obedience for me. Now I see. Now it's obvious to me. My sin can't be put away by animal sacrifices. It's got to be by the blood of God's own son. It's the only way it's possible. Now it's obvious to me. Rest is not found in a day. Rest is not found in a Sabbath day. My rest is in Christ. My rest is in Christ. Christ came, and he undid everything that Adam did to his people. Only better. Only better. Adam made his people guilty, didn't he? And we can never make ourselves not guilty. We're guilty. Christ came. He made his people righteous. He made them innocent. And they can never be guilty again. Adam brought death on all men. 
Christ came and he made all of his people to have eternal life. They can never die. Life that they can never lose. Christ destroyed death. And you know how he did it? By destroying sin. He took away the sin of his people. Sin causes death, doesn't it? Well, there's no sin. There can't be any death. Christ took the sin of his people away. Now, how did he do that? You know, it would be, is gracious the right word? It would be nice. It would be something. If Christ the king signed a pardon, he said they're guilty, but we're going to ignore it. That would be nice. They, they deserve to be put to death, but I'm not going to put them to death. That would be nice. That would be kind, wouldn't it? But it wouldn't be just. What Christ did for his people is the most glorious, most astounding thing, the most astounding story that human tongue can tell. The Father made his Son sin for his people. Christ took the sin of his people and he made it his. He became guilty of it. He took the sin of his people and his own body upon the tree and he died for that sin because that's exactly what God's justice demands. And the blood of Christ, the blood of his sacrifice, paid the debt for that sin. It washed it away and made it not to exist. Now the sin of God's people is gone. Then they can never die. Now, whoever it is that Christ died for, they can never die. If Christ died for you, you can never die because his blood purged your sin away. I love this. Only God could, could accomplish salvation in this way. The death of Christ made God's justice work for his people. Not against us, but for them. When Christ died, as a substitute for his people, God's justice was satisfied. The father said, that's enough. Normally, the burnt offering burnt until the offering was gone, didn't it? When Christ offered himself as a burnt offering to his father, the fire burned until sin was gone and the sacrifice remained. Christ the sacrifice suffered until the fire of God was gone. He extinguished the justice of God because he put the sin of his people away. And God's elect must live. They must live because they already died in the person of their substitute. Now I know we live in fear. The fear of those poor leaven that were there. I know we live in fear. We sin and we think, oh my goodness, God's going to get me now. Now, you understand I'm not making any excuse for sin. The believer's attitude is every morning we get up, I'm not going to sin today, but we do. Let me give you some comfort. If Christ died for you, you have no reason to fear God's justice. The long arm of the law isn't even looking for you. The death of Christ satisfied it for you. And the death of Christ is so wonderful. You know what it did for God's people? Now these bodies are still going to die. But since Christ died for his people, he made the death of these bodies to be our friend, not our enemy.
for the believer, all the death of this body is going to do is usher us out of this body of sin and out of this world of sin into the presence of the Savior where he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's grace. <laughs> That's grace. That's salvation. Now I see. Now I see that because I see Christ. All right, number four. The testimony of the Lord is that God's salvation is applied through the preaching of the gospel. Paul says in verse 11, Whereunto I'm appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. Now Paul says here, God saved us. And God called us. God called us. See, the Father chose a people to save. The Son came, He lived, and He died for those people. Now the Holy Spirit comes, and He reveals Christ through the preaching of the gospel. See, God's done all this. He's accomplished all this salvation for His people, and the way God lets you and me in on it is by the preaching of the gospel, by what we're doing this weekend, preaching Christ. Now, salvation is to know Christ. That's salvation. That's what the Savior said. His great high priestly prayer, John 17. Eternal life is to know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou sent. Salvation. Eternal life is knowing Christ. Well, how is a sinner ever going to know Christ? How is a sinner ever going to come to Christ? It's by the call of the gospel. Look over at Romans chapter 10. Sinners are called to Christ by hearing Christ and believing him when he's preached. Romans 10, verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they not heard? How can you believe in somebody you don't even know exists? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sinned? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Here's the way sinners come to know Christ. It's through the preaching of Christ. Somebody's got to come tell us who Christ is. Now, could God save sinners? Does he have the power, the ability to save sinners without them ever hearing the gospel? Of course he does. He's God. He's got the power to, to do whatever he will. But he won't do it. <laughs> he won't do it. Because God said it's pleased him by the foolishness of preaching. Preaching to save them that believe. Now could God reveal himself to you as you read the scriptures? You know, a man told me one time, well, I, you could read a, a message of one of the apostles or something in scripture and be saved. I, I wouldn't discount that. Certainly that, that's possible, but more than likely it won't happen. <laughs> more than likely, you're going to be reading the scripture and you're going to be just exactly like that Ethiopian eunuch. And you're going to say, I don't understand this. How can I understand this? And then Sunday, you're going to come to service and, and the pastor's going to turn to that passage and preach Christ to you out of it. You say, oh, now I see. How many times that happened to you? That's the way God reveals himself. That's the way God feeds his sheep. It's through the preaching of the gospel. When God intends to save a people, he sends them a preacher. 
Look over at 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 21. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, the Greeks, they seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews, unto the religious bunch, he's a stumbling block. Unto the Greeks, unto the, the intelligent folks, he's foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, how were they called? When somebody came and preached Christ to them. <laughs> now, you think of that. You think of that for a minute. You three men understand what I'm saying. To stand up in front of eternity-bound people and preach Christ Preach the Son of God to them. Who's sufficient for these things? I know people always say that about preachers, right? Who's sufficient for these things? Let me tell you something else. Who's sufficient to hear these things? Who's sufficient to believe these things? Oh, that's a good reason for us to pray for one another, isn't it? Oh, I pray, Lord... Send a man with a message. Send one of his messengers with a message from God and give me the faith to believe it. Because he can't preach and I can't hear unless God enables us. And that's what I pray for. That God will be pleased to save us by the preaching of Christ. Because that's how he lets his people in on what he's done for them. All right, number five. The testimony of the Lord declares that salvation is by the will of God. Now, salvation has got to be by the will of somebody. It's got to be somebody's will to change this mess we're in. It's got to be somebody's will to change the direction that we're going in. Well, that somebody's not man. That someone is God. Look back at Romans, just a couple pages, Romans chapter 9. Verse 15. For he saith to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but it's of God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy." And whom he will, he hardeneth. Now I ask you again, who made the difference between Moses and Pharaoh? God raised up both of those men for his glory. One, to be a type of Christ and deliver his people. One, to destroy, to show God's justice and God's power. His ability to destroy his enemies. Who made the difference between those two men? God did, didn't he? It was God's will. I'll tell you exactly what these verses mean in case you refuse to understand. You understand what these verses mean. In case you refuse to understand it, let me tell you what they mean. It means this, man cannot decide to get saved. Man can't decide to let Jesus into his heart. Man can't decide to accept Jesus as their personal Savior. And here's why, man is spiritually dead. 
That means he can't do anything spiritual. Don't ever confuse physical life for spiritual life. They're two totally different things. Man can't run after God, and we can't do something to get God to save us. Salvation is by the eternal will of God Almighty. Now, that's good doctrine. But, brother, that's a whole lot more than good doctrine, isn't it? That's the believer's confidence. God's will, God's purpose shall be done. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that's exactly what he did. In heaven and earth, the seeds and all deep places. That's cause for joy. That's cause for rest in Christ. If my salvation is done by the will of God, I'll be saved. And even I can't mess it up. <laughs> all right, here's the last thing. The testimony of the Lord declares that salvation is by the grace of God. Back over in our text in 2 Timothy, verse 1, Paul says he's an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. In verse 9, he says this salvation was given us in Christ before the world began. Now that's what grace is. It's God giving us what we do not deserve and what we cannot earn. Salvation is by the sovereign, electing, saving, regenerating, keeping abundant grace of God. From beginning to end and every single solitary step in between, salvation is of grace. What other explanation is there for Noah? Why wasn't Noah destroyed with the rest of the sons of Adam? When God sent the flood. Why wasn't he? Noah was the same as everybody else. He had the same nature as everybody else. Why wasn't Noah destroyed? Noah found something. He found something he didn't have in himself. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And I'm telling you, it wasn't because there was any good in Noah. Because as soon as Noah got off that ark, God saved Noah and his family from drowning in that flood. And what did Noah do when he got off that ark? He made a vineyard, got drunk, lay naked in his tent. Well, why didn't God destroy Noah then? Grace. Grace. <laughs> Same reason he wasn't drowned in a flood. What other explanation can there be for our brother Lot? Why wasn't Lot destroyed with everybody else in Sodom? The Lord told him he's going to destroy this place, and he wanted to stay. He lingered. The only explanation is grace. And after Lot wasn't destroyed, he saw the Lord destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He went to that mountain. He got drunk, and he, he conceived children through an incestuous relationship with his daughters. That just... That just curls our hair, doesn't it, to think of something like that? Why didn't God destroy him? I mean, if that is like to us, what was that to God? Why didn't God destroy him? I've looked and looked and looked at it. You know what I'm telling you? The only explanation for it is grace. <laughs> it's grace. Peter called Lot just Lot, justified, 
You know why Peter could call him justified? Now, it's so. Peter wrote that under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so it's so, isn't it? You know why Lot's justified? He was justified in Christ before time began. Grace. Grace. What about Saul of Tarsus? The greatest enemy to the gospel of Christ on the planet. And God saved that man. He called him. And he made him an apostle. Grace. What about poor old Peter? Judas denied the Lord. Or, or he betrayed him. And Peter denied him. Why did Judas go off and hang himself? And Peter was saved. Why did the Lord let Judas hang himself? But he didn't let Peter do that. And he came to Peter and said, Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. The only explanation is grace. And I got a better one than that. What other explanation is there for you and me? Buddy Lot's got nothing on me. Noah's got nothing on me. Peter's got nothing on me. What is the only explanation for you being here this morning? Believing and loving and being fed by the preaching of Christ. What's the only explanation? It's grace. It's grace. My daughter, Savannah, was baptized that evening. Brother Todd Nybert baptized her, and after we were talking, and he said, well, this is about the best day in your life, isn't it? And I said, yeah, it is. And he said, the only explanation for it's grace. It's not because of our good parenting. It's not because of our good teaching. It's not because of our good example. It's grace. <laughs> and I love it that way. I'd a whole lot rather depend on God's grace than my works, wouldn't you? Now, let me quickly give you this. That, that, that's the testimony of our Lord. You've heard it before. You know it. Now, I want to give you something I hope will help you. I want this, you can take this with you and put it in your lunch bucket and think about it. Do you believe the testimony of our Lord? Now, do you believe it? I mean, I think that's a fair question. You, you've heard the gospel many, many years. You children, you, you've grown up. You've never heard anything. You've never heard any message but this message, have you? Well, do you believe it? Or is it just what you've always heard? It's what mom and dad believe. It's what mom and dad, you know, been, yeah, you know. Or do you believe Christ? I want you to believe Christ. That's how I started out this message. I want you to believe Christ. I want you to know you believe him. How do I know if I believe this testimony? Let me give you two things very quickly. You've believed on Christ. You believe this testimony. If you've committed 100% of the salvation of your soul to Christ, would you dare trust anything other than Christ alone? Would you? If you wouldn't, you believe this testimony. Look what Paul says in verse 12. For the which cause I also suffer all these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I believed, and I'm persuaded he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Paul, what have you committed unto him? Absolutely everything. Now, you commit your soul to Christ? Would you dare trust anything other than him? If the answer is no, you believe this testimony. 
And number two, you believed on Christ if you can't be deceived into trusting anything other than Christ alone. Verse 13, Paul says, Now, Timothy, you hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. If you believe on Christ that way, where you hold fast to it, and you wouldn't let go, you wouldn't be deceived into, into believing anything else, then you believe this testimony. Paul says, you hold fast this form of sound words. Now let me give you a little hint about the gospel. Any message that you ever hear that doesn't fit into that form, it's like a form of, of cement, you know, they make a, that form. If it's got an arm sticking out of it, because they've added something to it, they've added your profession or your decision or your works, if, it don't, if they've added something to it so it doesn't fit in that form, it's not the gospel, run away from it. And if they've taken something out so it doesn't completely fill that form, if they've taken out God's electing love, if they've taken out the irresistible call of the gospel, then it's not the gospel. Run away from it. But if it fits that form, you believe it and you cling to it for all you're worth because in that message is salvation. I pray God give it to you and me today. All right, I, th I thank God for you.